Acts 22, verse 6. But it happened that as I was on my way, this is Paul speaking, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light... I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near to me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know His will and to see the Righteous One and to hear an utterance from His mouth. For you will be a witness for Him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on His name. Let's pray together. Holy Father, Again, we come before Your presence, Lord. We consider that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That Your Word is life to us, Lord. It is bread. And and we, we come again considering, thinking about, as we prayed earlier, the bread of the presence. And Your Word is bread. And your son Jesus is the bread of life, born in the house of bread, Bethlehem. Lord Jesus, we we bend the knee to you. We are humbled before you. We bow under your authority. And we pray that you will give us ears to hear. Father, there are some things we say an awful lot. Sometimes words spoken much lose their meaning. We pray for all of its meaning that You will give us ears to hear. Ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. It was one of my favorite Christmas songs as a kid. Do you hear what I hear? And to this day, when I hear the song, I get a little nostalgic lump in my throat. I remember the first time I sang it, I was eight years old, and it was the first time I choked on the words. I was supposed to perform the song at a little church Christmas fellowship. My mom was accompanying me on the piano. It was a big deal. The living room full of adults. And I came out to sing my little song, but before the night wind could say a word to the little lamb, she missed a chord, threw me off, I lost my place, and in a moment of holiday humiliation, little Ricky ran from the room in tears. 
Yeah, I know, right? And I haven't forgotten. Marred for life. (laughs) Nobody would have heard the mistake if I had just kept on singing. But I heard it. And that's all it took. Do you hear what I hear? The song was originally written in October and released immediately after Thanksgiving 1962. Songwriting team were asked to submit a new song for Christmas. They were reluctant because of the commercialization of the holiday. They didn't really want to write a Christmas song. But compelled to do it, they wrote it. And before the end of the year, it had already sold 250,000 copies. And tens of millions of copies had been sold ever since. It became an even bigger hit in 1963 when a year later it was covered by Bing Crosby. So it shot to the top of the charts among all the Christmas songs. The songwriters' names were, I think ironically, Noel Regney and Gloria Shane. (laughs) A Christmas song written by Noel and Gloria. Okay? But they never could perform the song themselves. They couldn't get through it. It was too emotional for them. Some of you may recall, for 13 days in October of 1962, the United States and the USSR faced off on the brink of nuclear war. What became known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. And in the midst of all of that going on, and all that fear that was just palpable in America at the time, Regney and Shane wrote this song for a world that many believed was headed directly into World War III. That was the purpose for the song. Said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb, do you see what I see? A star. A star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. I think all the way back to that prophecy in Numbers, I believe around 22, 23, somewhere in there, spoken by Balaam, that sneaky, pandering prophet who said, I see a star. Not not here, but, but far off. I see a star. And of course, you know the star would signify the coming of our Lord Jesus at the day of His birth, the time of His birth. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? A song, a song high above the trees with a voice as big as the sea. And you know on the night of Jesus' birth, the angels sang that song of of glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill among men on whom His favor rests. Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, Do you know what I know? In your palace warm, mighty king, do you know what I know? A child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Now theology is not spot on in that verse, but the wise men did bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. Said the king to the people everywhere, Listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Listen to what I say. The child, the child sleeping in the night, He will bring us goodness and light. He will bring us goodness and light. And when a staff Christmas party is interrupted by an evil, brutish act of terrorism, and let's call it what it is, the song seems every bit as poignant to me now as it 
as it did when it was first written 53 years ago. Do you hear what I hear? And the problem is in the world today, far too many people do not hear. They don't see. They don't believe. They don't pray. 27 and a half centuries ago, the Lord spoke these words through or to the prophet Isaiah. I'll read these to you. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. He said, Go to this people and tell them, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Now, it's Hebrew irony. It's not that God doesn't want them to see or hear or turn. It's it's a lack of perception and understanding that continues to this very day to plague the human heart. God spoke through Isaiah to Israel saying, you're blind, you're deaf, you are running your own way, you need to see, hear, and turn. Because if you would, I'd heal you, but you won't, so you're not getting healed. But the same prophecy to Israel so obviously overlays all of mankind that is blind and deaf and hard-hearted and self-willed. Jesus came along and changed it just ever so slightly. He said, he said that we needed to hear and to see and to pray and not be healed, but be forgiven. Because forgiveness is the healing of God. Do you hear what I hear? Back in Acts chapter 22, the traveling companions of Paul apparently did not. They did not hear what Paul heard. We come to the second telling in Acts 22 of Paul's Damascus Road experience, so we might call it. It's the first time, however, we hear it from Paul's own lips. Back in Acts chapter 9, it's the first telling of the tale of the story of the history. A race that I called it a tale because it's no tale. The first telling of that story was by Luke having gotten the information from Paul. But now Paul tells it himself. And what he tells us expands upon it, gives us far more than what we would have had from simply Luke's telling in chapter 9. But I want you to note something, kind of hone in on something here in verse 9. Paul says, Those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Some have read that verse and said there is a glaring inconsistency right there in the Scriptures. Because in Luke's telling of the same encounter, he wrote, Acts chapter 9, verse 7, the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now you might read it and say, well, yeah, no, it says they did not understand the voice. Well, listen, in the Greek, the words are the same. The translators are trying to make it easier on us here. But if we were reading this in the original language, it's the exact same two words used in both verses with one critical exception. The two words are akuophone. Akuo, where we get the word acoustic. Phone, where we get the word phonics. It means heard, akuo, hear, and phone, sound. And back in, verse, in chapter 9... 
they, they heard the sound. Here in chapter 22, one little word is added that changes the whole landscape of this thing. It's the Greek word ou, O-U, and it means no or not. And it's the absolute negative. So in chapter 9, they heard the sound. In chapter 22, they did not hear the sound. So we see the problem. In chapter 9, akuophone. In chapter 22, ou, akuophone. They did not hear the sound. Do you hear what I hear? (laughs) This sounds like a contradiction between the two verses. Luke's telling and Paul's telling. And you might say, well, Luke maybe got it wrong. Look, it's Scripture, gang. It's the same story. Did the men with Paul hear or did they not hear? Luke says yes. Paul says no. Which one's right? How do we understand this? Well, to understand this, we got to go into Damascus. Let's pick it up in verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And he said to me, get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Verse 12, a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, Receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. Now stop there for a second. Think about this. That the last thing Paul saw, right before the light blinded him, was Jesus. Saw Jesus in a vision, but the light around him was, was so bright, like a lightning flash that would, that would blind you, although Paul didn't just get blinded for a few minutes, he remained blind. And he saw Jesus and then went blind. And that image for three days, the image of Christ. Can you imagine that? You know how sometimes when you close your eyes and you kind of have that little image emblazoned on your eyelids? And yet what Paul would see, would remember, would consider, would pray over, the person he would pray to would be Jesus, the last visage that he had seen before going blind. But now the first thing he sees after receiving his sight is Ananias. Don't get those two out of order. What do you mean? Don't consider the church before considering Jesus. Don't look at the disciple before the teacher. Don't look at the body without the head. And people do. And when we do that, we get all confused. Because the church is not the focus of our faith. Jesus Christ is the focus of our faith. And we are to look to Jesus to see Him first. Through Him comes salvation. Not through the church. Please understand that and get that down. It is never the church that saves you. It is not your affiliation. It is not your denomination. It is not your tradition. This will not save you. Catholics like to say, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. Well, that's, that's all well and good, but that's not going to make any difference in heaven. Jesus is not going to ask, were you Catholic? He's not going to ask, were you Baptist? Did you go to the bridge? Because that is not the standard of salvation. Jesus Christ is the standard of salvation. The church did not shed its blood for you. Jesus did. And Paul sees Jesus first. 
And then he sees Ananias. And I think that order is important. Faith comes from hearing Romans 10.17. The word is akuo there. Acoustics. And hearing by the word of Christ. Now I want to point something out to you. The word, therefore word, is rima. And that's been grabbed hold of and used by some to say that audible revelation supersedes or can even replace biblical doctrine. And that is not what Paul is talking about in Romans 10.17. You'll hear the word used a lot, the rima. People get real excited about the rima. Oh, the spoken word of Christ. As if the spoken word is more powerful than the written word. Let me explain something very clearly. Both are His word. And He's not going to speak a word that contradicts the word that He's given us that we have in the written word of God. And as far as my faith, my mind, my understanding is concerned, it's not either or, it's both and. It is the word, the logos, represented in Jesus And written in the Scriptures. It is the grapho, the doctrine that we see written down, penned in the Scriptures. And it is the rima, it is the voice of God who speaks if we have ears to hear. But in Romans 10.17, it simply means faith comes from hearing and hearing by Christ spoken. By the speaking of Jesus. We might even say the preaching of Jesus. Jesus the Word. Hearing Jesus, Jesus proclaimed, the Savior heard and received. Do you hear what I hear? By the way, Jesus people, if if you're having trouble with the body, you need to look at the head. It changes everything. If a finger in the fellowship is poking you, or someone's stepping on your toes in the body... Look to the head. If we look to Jesus first, we will have far more grace for one another in the body of Christ. First place to go when you're in conflict with another believer is go to Jesus. And then, if possible, so far as it depends on you, meet with the believer that you're in conflict with and invite Jesus into the conflict. Into the problem. Pray together because where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus says, I'm there. And he's not about conflict. And he will bring peace. Well, Paul sees Jesus. He's blind. And then he sees Ananias. He looks up. He sees his face. Picking up in verse 14. And he said, and this is all new information we're now getting from Paul. We didn't hear this from Luke's version. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed You stop right there. Ananias now speaks. He begins with the phrase, the God of our fathers. Now Paul in Acts 22 is speaking to an audience in Israel that wants his head. They want him dead. They're calling for his death. Away with him, they're shouting. And he begins to speak to them in Hebrew. And all of chapter 22 is a remarkable chapter because Paul is giving his testimony. I'll share more on that in just a minute. But he's speaking to all of these Jewish people about very Jewish things. And as he begins to tell them what Ananias said to him there in Damascus, he says, listen, Ananias spoke truth. He said, the God of our fathers. So everybody gathered there in Jerusalem that day would have gone, oh yeah, the God of our fathers. That's Hebrew language. That's what we call him. And that title is spoken four times in the book of Acts. Right here by Ananias. 
Back in Acts chapter 13, or chapter 3, verse 13, by Peter, who said, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate. Second time, it's spoken, Acts chapter 5, verse 30. Peter again is speaking. He says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom has put you, who you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. And then later, after this scene in chapter 24, verse 14, Paul will speak and say, This I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, do I serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. What does that tell us? Four times in the book of Acts, the book of Acts, the story of the birth of the church and the work of the Spirit of God in and through these new believers, four times we hear this phrase, the God of our fathers. Christianity is a very Jewish faith. We've talked about that actually quite a bit here at the bridge, but if that's news to you, it was news to me. A little more than a decade, probably 15, 20 years ago, I started to realize how Jewish our faith really is. That there is not a separation between Judaism and Christianity like there would be between Judaism, Christianity, and say, oh, Islam. Which is not an equivalent faith. Which was, does not worship and serve the God of our fathers. The God of Islam is a different God. In the same way that the God of Baal was a different God than the Hebrew God when the people came into the land. But the God of our fathers is the same God of the Jewish people who is God of Christians. The only difference, the outstanding difference, is the acceptance of Jesus as the full representation of that God. That Jesus came, Emmanuel, God in the flesh traditional Jews at this point right now who would not consider themselves Christians or Messianic Jews believe in God. The same God we believe in. They just don't recognize, don't realize that He came in the person of Jesus Christ. So when Peter says, when Paul says, the God of our fathers, they're expressing that faith in Jesus is faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is so important for us as Christians to understand because our faith does not fluctuate. My faith is shaky, Rick. What do you mean your faith? I mean our faith, Christianity, is not like Mormonism. If you have a Mormon background or or Mormon friends, Mormonism teaches the doctrine of ongoing revelation. And new revelations supersede previous revelations. And so the the president of the Mormon church or the leader can come out, the prophet, and he can speak a new revelation that, that overturns old revelations, even if it's written in their book of Mormon. It's this ongoing revelation. Our faith is not like Islam. See, when Muhammad came along, first he went to the Jews to try and get them on board. They wouldn't get on board. He went to the Christians to see if he could get them on board. They wouldn't get on board. And then he decided to tell all of his people that God has now given a new revelation because all of the old revelations in Judaism and Christianity, oh, there's some truths there, Muhammad would say, but they got corrupted. Let me tell you, the God who would allow his word to be corrupted is no God. But my God, he knows how to keep his word. 
And I believe that the scriptures that have come down to us across the centuries come from the God of our fathers and has been kept from corruption and can be read, read and studied and learned as such an enduring faith based on an ancient truth attested to by the Hebrew law and the Hebrew prophets, which is why we spent the first 12 years of this church fellowship going through the Hebrew scriptures. We are only just now on the, on the precipice, on the cusp of the New Testament going through Acts. Because the Hebrew Scriptures are my Scriptures. As well as the New Testament. The whole Bible is the whole counsel of the Word of God. It's rooted deep in the promises God made to Abraham 4,000 years ago. In fact, it goes all the way back to what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob spoke 2,000 years before that in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember? Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent, that old dragon, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That prophecy gave. It's called the Proto-Evangelicum. It's the first gospel, first mention of the gospel in the scriptures, Genesis 3.15. How is it a mention of the gospel? Because God tells Satan, I'm going to put imagery between your seed and her seed, which is a miraculous statement, because a woman does not have a seed. A woman has an egg, the man provides the seed. God's speaking of her seed and is the first hint that something was going to come on the horizon. Something remarkable. The God of our fathers was warning the devil of a miraculous seed that would be the devil's final end. He's gonna, you're going to bruise him on the heel as those spikes went through the feet of Jesus. But he's going to bruise you on the head. Genesis 22.18 God is now speaking to Abraham and He says in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed My voice. The seed. Now down the line through Abraham through Isaac through Yaakov through Judah the line of David the seed of David. Oh God, we don't even have time to cover it all this morning. But God promises David through his seed, he was going to set upon the throne one who would be ruler in all the earth. It's an ancient truth that has been unfolding for thousands of years before us. We didn't come upon a new thing. Christianity is not new as of 2,000 years ago. Christianity is the fulfillment of the prophets and the law and the teachings and the history and the truth that God began in the very Garden of Eden. We are walking out that ancient faith. That's so cool. That is so awesome. The God of our fathers determined that this miraculous seed would produce the child born of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin, Emmanuel, God, with us. Micah 5 verse 2 says, As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be even among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The God of our fathers promised this. And then, 
Ananias says, the God of our fathers has appointed you. Do not miss that. It is absolutely critical to our understanding of Paul and what he did, what he said, and most importantly to us today, what he wrote. I can't underscore this anymore. The God of our fathers has appointed you, Paul. The word appointed in the Greek, prokurizomai, the big one. Prokurizomai, it means chosen, it means placed in position. Who placed Paul in position? The God of our fathers. That is a big deal. Paul would write in several verses, and I have them kind of listed in a funny way there, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. In the opening of all of these letters that Paul would write, listen to how he writes. Paul, Galatians 1, verse 1, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Ephesians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Colossians 1, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Rick, why are you stressing this so much? Because there are a lot of Christians who come to the writings of Paul and they take what they like and they deny what they don't like. And they blame it on Paul. I don't like what Paul says about women. You may not. But you need to know the God of our fathers appointed him. By the will of God, he wrote those letters. And you start picking and choosing in the Scriptures, man, you might as well throw the book away because ultimately there's nothing that ain't going to offend you in the Bible. You either accept that Paul is sent by God, that God's Spirit is upon Paul, and I'm telling you all this because we're in Acts. We're toward the end of Acts. We're, we're heading into the letters of Paul. And I absolutely believe and will teach the authority of Jesus Christ in the letters of Paul is as strong and as firm as it was in the Hebrew Scriptures. In the Gospels. That God inspired this. Well, inspired, that just means He gave Paul a good feeling and Paul wrote what he wanted to. No. God breathed His words. That we might understand and know. Put that together with the earlier statement I made. God knows how to keep His Word. So God knows how to keep His Word and He breathes His Word into Paul. And what we have in the letters that have been maintained and preserved in the Scriptures are the words of God Himself. Accept it and all the authority that comes with it or don't. 
But understand that for those who would denigrate, undermine, or try to erase the letters or any of the teachings of Paul, it was God who put him in place. Your argument is not with Paul. Your argument is with the Lord. And I'll leave you to deal with that. Now, again, it's going to become very important. We're going to be getting into a lot of doctrine. Doctrine's a good word. It's just teachings. The teachings of God. And we want to be sure that our doctrine at the Bridge Fellowship is sound. And it's biblical. And that we're not building a doctrine based on the interest or the, the pleasure of man or woman. But based on what God declares. And I believe if we do that, we will have joy and life and peace. So we're going to. But listen, if you have faith in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, you have an appointment from God. Ananias says to Paul, the God of our fathers has appointed you. Well, you have an appointment. Brothers and sisters, family, in Christ, we each and every one of us have appointments from God. Some are big, like Paul's. Some are seemingly smaller, like Ananias. What was Ananias' appointment? His appointment, the only appointment we know of for Ananias in all the Scriptures, was go go lay your hands upon Paul, pray for him, tell him these things, baptize him, and you're done. That's all we get from Ananias in history. Not a big deal. Except that he's the one who God used to anoint, the Apostle Paul. So in other words, it is a big deal. But each and every one here, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have an appointment. Now, Ananias defines Paul's appointment. Verse 14, he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know His will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from His mouth, for you will be a witness for Him to all men of what you have seen and heard. And Paul is doing that right here in chapter 22. The the fact that he's sharing this story, this testimony. Paul is being a witness of all that he had seen and heard. He's living out exactly the calling that had been placed on his life. It all comes together in the ministry of Paul as a witness. The witnessing of Paul, the testimony of Paul, is the appointment in action. It's the appointment in action. Matthew 13, 17, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. Or to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Well, Paul both saw and heard and was a witness of that. Stunning. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, Peter and John, they said, We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Paul, you're going to be a witness, verse 15 says, of all that you've seen and heard. And gang, it's that simple. That's how witnessing works. That's how testimony works. You testify of what you have seen and heard. Glenn and I were actually talking about this this last week and how, you know, there there are so many programs out there in the church to teach people how to witness Evangelism explosion is one of the many. And there are all these things that you can take discipleship training classes and learn how to disciple others. You can, you can do evangelism courses and learn how to become an evangelist. And the reality is, it's much more organic than that. Live out what you've seen and heard. I'm not saying don't take discipleship training or, 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 or avoid evangelism training. Hey, if it'll help your witness, fantastic. But don't make it complicated. 
Parents, do you realize you're discipling your children in Christ? That that's what you're doing? Friends, do you realize you're discipling your friends by the decisions you make, by the the very things you do, even on an evening out where you don't speak the name of Christ, but you cannot help but live out what you've seen and heard? You're witnessing. And more than that, every time we speak of Jesus, talk about Jesus, and share Jesus, we're just being witnesses, not of all of the Scriptures. You may not have a handle on all the Scriptures yet. Hope you do. Hope you get there. And even if you can't recall verse and chapter and where this comes from and where that comes from, every single person in here who has been saved by Jesus Christ can tell how that happened. Testifying what you have seen and heard. What has Jesus done in your life? Why do you follow Him? Why are you here? We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, but i got to wonder sometimes, have you missed your appointment? I think sometimes people have missed their appointment. Don't realize that coming to faith in Jesus was an appointment by the God of our fathers. Have you missed the appointment? Every follower of Jesus has an appointment by God. Have you shown up for your appointment? Now we had a little scare on Wednesday night. We were talking about how back in verse 1 of chapter 22, Paul said, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. The word defense is apologia. It's where we get our word apologetics. It doesn't mean to apologize. It means to defend, to give an answer, to be able to refute heresy and speak sound doctrine. Paul says, I give my defense. And so I asked on Wednesday night, could you right now stand up and give a defense for what you believe? And there are a few amens and a couple of head nods and and some very frightened faces. Because I stood up and said, okay, let's go, stand up. One at a time, here we go. And I think there were one or two sitting there who went, are you kidding me? Really, you're going to make us line up and give our defense? Why would that unsettle any follower of Jesus? Listen. If you can't give a defense for the faith that you have in Jesus, perhaps today, when you go get home, you need to sit down and pray and say, Lord, help me write out my defense. Why am I a follower of Jesus? What is my witness? What is my testimony? It is simply what you have seen and heard. It's Jesus working in your life. It's plain and simple as that. Your testimony is not a theological thesis. It's not a doctrinal dissertation. It is your story in Christ Jesus. And if you don't think that you've got one yet, you have an appointment with Jesus today. He's made an appointment for you. I pray that you will keep it. Now Paul did this. He he testified exactly of what he had seen and heard. He preached Christ and Him crucified. Again, it's what Paul is doing in this very moment. But that's the appointment in action. Listen to the actual appointment now. The heart of Paul's calling. Verse 14. The God of our fathers has appointed you to know His will. That's number one. We'll just let the Scriptures make our points for us. To know His will. What was God's will for Paul? I can tell you most assuredly, it was not Paul's will for Paul. God's will for Paul was not Paul's will for Paul. Skip down to verse 17. Because Paul going on in his testimony said, It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. 
And I saw him, that is Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go! So you don't want God to have to tell you twice. He said, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul is in the temple, he's praying, he falls into a trance, and then he begins to argue with Jesus. Jesus says, make haste, get out of the city, go, I need you to move it on. And Paul says, Lord, these are my people. They get me, I get them. I am the perfect man for the job. I should should be the apostle to the Jews. Often God's will is not what we think it should be. God's direction for our lives is not what we expected it would be. I was talking to Jake about this last week. If you had told me when I started in ministry that I would be preaching at a church on the northern northern tip of Whidbey Island out in the middle of nowhere, I would have said you were nuts. No way. I'm a Southern California boy. I'm going to be somewhere in L.A., some metropolitan area. You know, lots of people planting churches the way you're supposed to do it. North Whidbey Island. Our ways are not His ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55 verse 8. And Paul would later write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.7 For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And you have to add this. I love it. In parentheses, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. Which is... Paul's way of saying, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's so weird. That's so weird by human standards that Paul, the Jew among Jews, becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And Peter, the backwoods fisherman from Galilee, becomes the apostle to the Jews. Why would God do that? Well, it makes it pretty obvious who the power is. makes it pretty obvious this is not from Paul as he's going from place to place dealing with Gentiles whose culture is completely different than his. makes it pretty obvious when it's Peter, the big dumb fisherman, sorry Peter, no offense, was up there preaching to the Jews, and yet with power and authority and the Word of God that could only come from those who had been with Jesus. His will is not always our will. And Ananias says to Paul right here, you are going to know His will. He appointed you to know His will. People ask, what's God's will for my life? You're going to have to ask Him that. I don't know. I don't know what I know what God's will is for my life, but I don't know what his will is for your life. He'll let you know. But I am certain that all three aspects of Paul's appointment are for you and for me as well as Paul, the first one to know his will. He wants you to know his will. Secondly, to see the righteous one. Oh, that's profound. Because the righteous one is a very Jewish title for Messiah. 
Every Jew would know this. For Paul to hear the phrase from Ananias now, you have been appointed to see the righteous one. He would know this is Messiah and it would coincide with the fact that three days prior he had already seen the righteous one, Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Back in Isaiah 53 verse 11, the prophet wrote, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. That's what Messiah is coming to do. The righteous one. Paul was extremely well versed in the Hebrew scriptures. And when Ananias says to him, to know his will and to see the righteous one, Paul knew exactly who he was talking about. And Paul saw him more than once. After Jesus had ascended to heaven, he came back more than once for personal encounters with Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Which is Hebrew speak to be, of course, you know I have seen Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Have you seen Jesus? See, Susie's nodding her head. The rest of you ought to look at Susie and go, Have you seen Jesus? Oh, I know she has. Paul saw Jesus with his own two eyes. We see Jesus with eyes of faith and trust. Now I know the moment I say that, there's someone who goes, okay, you just took it down and that's, that's not the same thing as seeing with your own eyes. No, it's, it's more powerful. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe and yet put their trust in me, enter into relationship with me by His Word. We see Him. We see His grace and His truth. John 1.17 By His Spirit. John 16.14 We see His glory. Yes, we have seen Jesus. And by His promise, and this just thrills me to no end, we will see Him, as Paul did, face to face. What gets you through days like like the shootings in San Bernardino. When it comes across the wire, did you, like me, just go, at a holiday party? Again, Lord? This is happening? What we need is more gun control. (laughs) Gun control. My friends, will not stop the sin nature of man. Man will find another way. Ask the people of Israel who are dealing with knife attacks. Are you going to go for knife control? Now, Rick, you're getting political. Okay, back to the Scriptures. 1 John 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. We will see Him. Have you seen Jesus? Yes, Lord, by faith. In Your Word, by Your Spirit, I have seen You. I've seen Your glory. I've seen Your grace. I've seen Your truth. And I will see Jesus. And I can't wait. 
It is the greatest hope of my life, okay, to see Jesus Christ. Until then, Jesus offered us a, a massive promise to know His will, to see the righteous one, and number three, to hear an utterance from His mouth. Do you hear what I hear? Jesus said very clearly in John 10.27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So listen up, little flock. Ananias says, Paul, you're going to hear an utterance from his mouth. And Paul already had and would again. Hear an utterance from his mouth? Bible students, you might want to note this. Hear an utterance is akuophone. It's the exact same phrase that we were looking at. You will hear a sound from his mouth. And now his traveling companions on the road to Damascus hadn't heard. Or had they? That's right, we haven't figured that one out yet, have we? Please get this. Because I believe it is the key to knowing His will, to seeing Jesus, and to hearing Him speak, to being a witness of all you have seen and heard. The issue isn't hearing, the issue is understanding. The difference between the two stories, which is the same story, there is no difference at all. It's the difference between hearing and understanding. Up in verse 9, Paul doesn't just say they didn't hear. He says, look again at verse 9, they did not understand or they didn't hear the sound of the one who was speaking to me. you got to read the whole sentence. They heard the sound back in Acts chapter 9. They just didn't comprehend it. Here, Paul says, oh, they heard the sound. They just didn't understand it. You see where we're going with this? Yeah, the guys heard something. But it made no sense to them. It's not an acoustic problem. It's a perception problem. They heard without hearing. I'm talking about Paul's traveling companions. Are you with me? They heard without hearing. They heard something, but didn't comprehend it. It made no sense to them. Do you ever hear that? you ever do that? Hear without hearing? It happens in my house all the time. Did you hear me to say to take out the trash? Yeah, I heard you. Well, the trash is still there. <laughs> Clearly you heard me without comprehension. And Cheryl will tell you, that happens with me all the time. Did you hear what I said? Yes, dear. Did you hear me? Uh-huh, I, got, I got it, I got it. And she leaves and she comes home. Why didn't you do this? Do what? <laughs> What I told you to do when I, when I left? You remember the conversation? No, I don't. You said you heard me. I, I did. But I didn't perceive. <laughs> I didn't hear. And this happens, gang, all the time. In my house, perhaps in your house, and it happens in God's house. Isaiah... 6 9 again, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, 
they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And by the way, Paul's going to quote Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 at the last in Acts 28, verse 26. He's going to say it to the Jews in Rome who refuse to hear the word. Though they hear it with their ears, they will not receive it in their hearts. Do you hear without hearing? Do you listen without understanding? Comprehending, listen, comprehending the voice of Jesus only comes through faith. It only comes to those who put their trust in Him. And by the way, on the Damascus Road, it's thought by some Bible scholars that Jesus was speaking classical Hebrew to Paul, which is why those who were with them heard the sound but didn't hear what he was saying. Couldn't comprehend or understand the words. They heard the sound, but it was like a foreign language to them. They didn't get it. They wouldn't comprehend it. But we need to understand today that it is far more than simply the language of Hebrew. It's the language of the heart. And my question to you this morning is, how's your hearing? How is your hearing? There are two kinds of ears to hear with faith. Very simply, ears to hear the gospel for salvation. And ears to hear the spirit for sanctification. Regarding the gospel, to the non-believer, to the person on the fence, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Matthew 13, Jesus had just been giving the parable of the soils and the seed. The seed is the Word of God. And the soils, Jesus explains to His apostles, represents the human heart. The condition of the heart to receive the Word of God like seed coming in. And some hearts are hard and some hearts are thorny. And some hearts have good soil ready to receive the Word. Ears to hear the appointment to salvation. Is that you today? Do you have ears to hear your appointment to salvation? Because Jesus is speaking it right now. If you've never received Him as Lord and Savior, He's saying, come to Me. Receive Me. Be saved. Father, I pray right now you will give ears to hear those who need to hear for salvation's sake. Secondly, there are ears to hear the Spirit for sanctification, my friends. Sanctification. Once you've heard, once you've been saved, and I threw you off by praying there, didn't I? Once you have been saved, your hearing must increase. It's not like the physical body where the older I get, the more my hearing decreases. And it's true, I can walk up and talk to you in this sanctuary after services. If you see me squinting while I'm looking at you, while I'm talking to you, it's because I'm trying to hear every word you're saying because everybody else is talking. And in a large environment like this, all that noise makes it hard for me to hear. It's what happens when you cross, you know, the mid-century. <laughs> but spiritually, I hear better now than I've ever heard in my life. And the longer you walk with Jesus, saints... Brothers and sisters, hear this. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more sensitive our hearing must become because we hear the Spirit for sanctification. 
The non-believer hears the gospel for salvation. We hear the Spirit for sanctification. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Revelation 2.7 when He says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's calling for people to have ears to hear for salvation in the whole world. He's calling His church to have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches for sanctification. And we all need one or the other. In this sanctuary this morning, be it this service or the next, every person here either needs ears to hear for salvation for the first time or ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to you for sanctification right now. Do you hear what I hear? You see, the king said to the people everywhere, listen to what I say. Father, I know it's just a Christmas song. But it's a song that declares, Lord God, in such a a potent way, what You are saying to this world. And I pray that we would have ears to hear this morning. Father, whether it's now or in the next service, I pray if there is anyone who walks in here who is not absolutely assured of their salvation, Holy Spirit, give them ears to hear and a willingness to walk forward and receive You today. Lord Jesus, so many of us, after having given our lives to You, struggle through the times of silence, the times where we feel deaf, Lord, to Your voice. Times, Father, where maybe perhaps we've been crying out to You and wondering if You're hearing us. Lord, would You clear our ears and let us hear what Your Spirit is saying this morning. That the God of our fathers has appointed us to know Your will. To see the Righteous One. And to hear the words of your mouth. Father, may we. May we hear you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.